All right, let's read the scripture together. As we read it, we are reminded that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's look at it together. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight as we consider what you uh, want us to know from your word, we ask that you would uh, show us. I pray that you would strengthen the preacher tonight. That as your word is taught, you, you, that you would use it for your purposes. That you would change us by it. We pray for our dear sister in the emergency room tonight and pray that you would guide her doctors. We pray that uh, as they run tests and do scans and check her out from top to bottom, we pray that there wouldn't be anything wrong and that you would uh, ease any pain or soreness that she has. We pray that your will would be done and that through all of it, that you would bring glory to yourself. Thank you for the, the faithful service of those who are around to make sure everything was well taken care of. Now tonight, as we focus on your word, who you are, and what you've done, and what your word instructs us to do. We pray that you would take this time and do with it what you want. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So uh, a, a few months ago, back at the beginning of June, we started this series on uh, the pastoral epistles. That's First and Second Timothy and Titus. Now, Titus is going to be the book that we move right into next on Sunday nights when First Timothy is over, uh, because chronologically, Titus is next. Uh, he, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, then he wrote a letter to Titus, and then he wrote a letter to uh, another letter to Timothy. Um, and so in. As we have been studying verse by verse through the book of 1 Timothy, we've seen Paul unfold a series of arguments about what, is, uh, what are the, the potential uh, pitfalls, the 
some were some of the things that were happening were actual things that were going on uh, for the church uh, there in Ephesus. Um, some of the things were actually taking place, and other things that Paul's talking about are warnings uh, that Timothy needs to guard against. And the whole book is. He's been building this series of arguments. He's been building, uh, Paul's been building a case here through the letter to Timothy in just one instruction after another. And he's headed for verse 20 here in chapter 6, which we'll get to in uh, two weeks. The whole point that he's written all of this down, uh, that he's written all of this uh, to get to is... In verse 20, guard, an instruction to Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Paul is, uh, has given, we've, we've been studying, Paul has given Timothy a, uh, authority and eldership overseeing the, the church there. And he's instructing Timothy and the elders how the church is to be organized, how everything is to be done. Just one instruction after another. I think Michael Cabell took a really long passage, a laundry list of things. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. We've, we've, studied, uh, we've studied together um, Paul's admonition against false teaching. He, he tells Timothy to, to stand against false teaching in the church. He tells uh, Timothy how to uh, have proper attitude in the church toward uh, uh, authorities inside and outside the church what the roles of men and women in the church should be. He's uh, instructed Timothy on the careful oversight of how worship is to be ordered, right? He's talked about how uh, important it is that we know who leads in the church based on how they live. You, one thing that's absent from Paul's teaching on the qualifications of, uh, for elders and deacons, uh, pastors and deacons, w- one thing that's missing from there is a list of things to do. There's an, a, a whole set of instructions on who, according to Scripture, who those men are supposed to be. who the kind of men that they are, those who live according to biblical principle, those who live according to to God's teaching, those whose lives are qualified and and, uh, are, quote, above reproach. The, The outside world sees them as upstanding and upright. Who those men are who lead is more important biblically than what they do as they lead. Lead in godliness and lead in righteousness, but make sure there's evidence that godliness and righteousness exist before you give them the leadership responsibility. And then he comes to what uh, Scott taught on last week, on Sunday night, and that is uh, on false teachers who are overcome with greed because their motives are wrong in their teaching and their leading. All of these things have funneled down to kind of rest right on Timothy's head. And he's a, he's a fairly young man. And so all of, this, uh, all of this responsibility 
for leading the church well has kind of fallen on Timothy's shoulders. And there's this whole long list of do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. Ensure that this happens. Keep out the false teachers. Make sure everybody you lay hands on is qualified to to lead. And we get to tonight's passage. And Timothy, Paul tells Timothy how it is possible that he can shoulder all of this responsibility that's just fallen on, on him. That's where we pick up in the passage tonight. So we're just going to pick the passage, uh, pick the passage apart uh, for just a little bit. Uh, right there, the first word in verse 11, but. Obviously, Paul is changing. He's saying, okay, here are all, all the things that the false teachers have been doing wrong but I know you're not that. So, man of God, he says, but as for you, O man of God, he identifies that he knows that Timothy is qualified for the role. He knows that Timothy is ready to do this because Timothy trusts in in God and in uh, Jesus' saving and redeeming work. He knows that Timothy has the right uh, mindset. He has the right set of ability. He knows that Timothy isn't all of the stuff that he has just finished describing. But as for you, man of God, flee these things. All the stuff that we talked about last week and several, for several weeks before, Paul is saying, run from those things. Run. Instead, he says, pursue. Pursue righteousness. Train yourself just a few uh, chapters ago, back in uh, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he instructs Timothy to train himself for godliness, to be disciplined in prayer and in study of the scripture and in uh, fasting. He, in, he tells uh, Timothy, that, that there, is, there are things that you have to do to train yourself for godliness. Not to be saved, but so that you can be more like Jesus. right? And you are to, he says, the, the word he uses here is pursue. Flee from this stuff, run toward this stuff. And then he makes a list. And here they are. Uh, righteousness. This is uh, conduct that is in accordance with God's will. Righteousness. When we are saved, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But we also choose a way that is righteous. We live our lives in a manner that is befitting of the fact that we have been clothed in righteousness for salvation. Because we have been saved, we live, choose to live a certain way that is counter-cultural, counter to the world. So pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. This is the, the way we ought to live, again, in response to what uh, the Lord has done for us. This is, you may be familiar, uh, especially if you are 
of a certain age with the word piety. It's not a word we use as much anymore, but but maybe if you're just a little bit older, um, you might, or if you come from a Catholic tradition, you might have heard the words pious, piousness, piety in the good sense, not the con- the the bad connotation about being pious. It is a, a life that reflects godliness, piety. Faith, he says. This is not simply faithfulness, but faith and trust that what Jesus did was enough to save us. He tells Timothy to pursue love, that is, godly affection for one another. John tells us in, in 1 John, if you don't love the brethren, you are not of the, uh, the household of faith. You are not part of the family of God if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you can't show love toward one another, the faith isn't in you. The truth is not in you. Paul says the same thing here. Pursue love. Pursue affection for one another. He says here to pursue steadfastness. Now, in this uh, usage here, steadfastness is to be patient with all of the junk that comes your way in life. No matter the situation, the circumstances, the circumstances that you face, just as, as Job faced the long list of things that he lost, he never charged God sinfully. He was patient in his responses. Now, that doesn't mean we, don't, we won't get frustrated. That's human. But you're not going to give up your faith. You're not going to, uh, to hang it up and call it a day out of bitterness toward other people or toward God. Be steadfast, patient under whatever the circumstances of our lives are. Gentleness, which is the opposite of being overbearing. Gentle. Pursue these things. That's what he's saying. And the reason he says to pursue these things is because of the next word. Fight the good fight of faith. This is a... The imagery that would be used here is not like a not like a war, though it is uh, sometimes uh, we do fight a spiritual battle often. He's also, he, he, he's meaning to talk here about like an athletic contest, fight the good fight of faith. To know that even though we are engaged in a spiritual battle, we know that we win it because Jesus has won it, right? That's the kind of faith that he's talking about having. And sometimes the, the spiritual battles can wear us down over time. We feel like sometimes the enemy's winning. We can look around the world, we can look at our circumstances, we can look at the stuff that happens. And again, we're, ho- we're being steadfast. We're having patience. 
but also we look at our circumstance and think that the enemy's winning. So when we take a little break from this passage, going to look at another one real quick. Flip over to Revelation 12 with me. Let's look at just a little bit of spiritual warfare, spiritual battle. Look at verse 11. Now, in order to, to as we take a, a, a step away for just a second from the First Timothy passage, in order to understand how one, how spiritual conflict, spiritual warfare, spiritual battles work, it's helpful to look at people who have won it. Uh, remember, from our study in Psalm 139, there are some incommunicable attributes of God, the things that we can't do, that God can do. One of the things about God that we can't understand is that he is omnitemporal. That is, that he has, he has existed through all time, from eternity past. He will exist to eternity uh, to come. He is uncreated, and he is in all time at one time. He knows the end. It has been written already. And he gives us a glimpse of this in Revelation 12 as we see who has won a spiritual battle. Verse 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Three things from from that one verse about spiritual warfare. Number one, you conquer spiritual a spiritual battle by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb that it refers to here. Many of y'all already know that. And Jesus, by the shedding of his blood, has conquered the effects of sin and death for us forever. That's right. And because he has done that, Satan, the enemy, cannot have our eternity. Because he, we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Also in verse 11 there, by the word of their testimony... These believers overcame sin and death by Jesus and by the word of their testimony. They overcame by their belief. And therefore, Satan cannot have, he cannot have their eternity, the first part of the verse, and he cannot have their effectiveness. Because what they did, their testimony is that they have been overcome, that, that the blood of the Lamb has overcome for them. So they're depending their testimony on what Jesus has done, right? Therefore, their testimony is effective in overcoming the work of the enemy. So if your testimony, if your story involves 
the Jesus who conquers sin on your behalf as well, then Satan can't have that either. He cannot have your eternity, and he cannot have your effectiveness if you're telling people that what has happened to you has happened through Jesus. Third part of the verse. They loved not their lives even unto death. And this comes to this to the steadfastness thing that we were just talking about, the patience under, uh, under pressure, under the pressures of life. If, if the enemy cannot have your eternity and he cannot have your effectiveness, he's after your emotions. He wants you to believe that life is so terrible for you that something, that something is so terrible about your circumstances that you cannot overcome it. Now again, in this verse, we're looking at, the, at how the battle was won. By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and then they loved not their own lives even unto death. They were willing to die... in order to say that Jesus saved them. The enemy wants us to believe in our minds, in our emotions, our heart. He wants us to believe that all is lost for us. And if you are a child of God, if you have trusted in Christ for salvation, my dear brother or sister, all is not lost for you. There is a great salvation, eternity in heaven that awaits for you. And the enemy cannot take it away. And so when we talk about, when we think about spiritual warfare and stand up, stand up for Jesus, when we think about how good and great God is, It helps us to remember that he has all things under his own power and his, under his control. And that's how we win spiritual battles. Knowing that Jesus has accomplished it. Knowing that when, when we admit to ourselves and to others that only he has accomplished it. And that there is nothing that the enemy can do to us between now and eternity that can change what Jesus did, we win spiritually. Now, let's jump back to, to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 and draw that together. Fight the good fight of faith. Okay, Timothy, all of these things are now in your care. The only way you can do this, the only way for you to persevere, is to pursue all the things in the list, right? Pursue those things. And then fight the good fight of faith, spiritual battles that are ongoing. And here's how Paul tells Timothy to fight those spiritual battles. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 
Remember what Jesus has done for you. The blood of the Lamb has accomplished your salvation, Timothy. That's what he's telling him. And when it feels like the circumstances of life are going to swallow you whole, remember, take hold, remember that you have eternal life waiting for you. Verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. So Paul starts reaching for reminders here to, as he tells Timothy, remember you've got eternal life. Remember that the God who created all things, who is uh, above all things and in all things, who, as Paul says here, who gives life to all things. Remember that he is the one in charge. When you feel like all of the responsibility and all the weight of, of protecting the church, of guarding the deposit entrusted to you, all of those things are weighing in on you. Remember that God has it all in his hand. And of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Paul uh, is talking here about Jesus who stood innocent before the man who could make his punishment go, all go away and he took the punishment anyway so that he could secure for Timothy, for you and me, eternal life. So Paul's just reminding Timothy of all of this. That there's only one way that you're going to get to the end of these circumstances, get, the, get to the end of uh, your life um, as an overseer and elder of this church, is when you trust in what Jesus has done. Verse 14, to keep the commandment unstained. The commandment, when he says commandment here, he's talking about basically the whole body of ethical teaching about who Jesus is and what he's done, as well as everything Timothy knows about their uh, religious past. And free from reproach, that's the opinion of outsiders, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Paul's just reinforcing what he's told Timothy. But also we get in right here. Remember, all scripture is inspired by God is profitable, right? It helps us to understand doctrine. When we read it, we see a reminder about who God is. We see that his rule is universal. He's sovereign over all things. That his reign is invincible. He is the king of kings. There's no one who can match his kingship. He's immortal. And we just talked a minute ago about he is omnitemporal. He is in and above and transcends all time. Paul says he's unapproachable. That is, he lives in an atmosphere of total holiness that we cannot comprehend. And we can't, by our own unrighteousness, approach his throne without being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
And without Jesus, the throne of, the throne of grace is unapproachable for us. He says here, no one whom no one has ever seen or can see. It's possible to conceive of all God is and is to us. These are some uh, incommunicable attributes as we follow from Psalm 139. We cannot be ourselves universal or invincible or uh, immortal or unapproachable or inconceivable. We cannot be omnipotent. And then... Paul concludes, verse 16, to him be honor and eternal dominion. A little doxology for us there. To him be honor and eternal dominion. He deserves all the praise. For whatever he does with his church, he deserves all the praise. For whatever happens in our lives... that we can overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and by understanding that if we don't love our lives so much that we're unwilling to die for Jesus, that we too can be a part of this inheritance, this deposit that Paul says is entrusted to Timothy. He deserves all the praise. Tonight, if, uh, if you're here, I, I know I recognize most of the faces. Um, but there's, there's a chance somebody here ha- has never heard the need to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. There's a chance somebody here has never heard that God had created everything to be perfect and he desired that we would live in a way that walks with him always. And then by our own choice, we sinned against him. And sin broke everything and it will never leave until Jesus returns to set it all right. So he sent Jesus who died to take our place, to take the punishment that we deserved. And one day he's coming to set it right. If you never trusted that all of those things are true and they're true for you, let tonight be the night you trust in Jesus for the first time. In just a minute, we'll, uh, we'll have an invitation. I'll be down at the front if you want to talk to somebody. Our ministers will also be around. We'd love to talk with you about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ and know that you can overcome by the word of your testimony, that you can overcome what the enemy would say is too much for you to deal with because of what Jesus did. Would you stand? Father, in this place tonight, we ask that you would be 
honored and glorified by our own responses to your word. Help us to respond in whatever way you want us to. If that's coming forward or if that's praying silently where we are, Help us to respond to your goodness and your invitation. We pray that you would help us to be changed by the truth of your word. That we would each pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfastness. That we might endure to the end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.